Bible says hope deferred makes the heart sick. But joy comes in the morning. Can we agree? I think one of the biggest messages that needs to happen for Christians is hope. We need hope. Every minute of every hour of every day. A lot of our problems are directly related to feelings of hopelessness. Can we agree with that? A lot of things that happen in society are related to hopelessness. So we're talking about hope this morning. Job chapter 8 verse 11 says this, Those who forget the Lord have no hope. Is that crazy? We ever wonder why the world seems so out of control, right? I don't know about you, I can't even watch the news, man. It's like, it's just, it's just, it's just like out of control. Our culture. What happens when we forget the Lord? We're going to talk about hope this morning. But when we forget the Lord, one of the first things to go is hope. Man's not sufficient in himself. You're not smart enough. You're not strong enough. You don't come from a good enough family. You don't have enough resources in yourself. You can't do it. And so man in his pride, mankind in their pride, we think that we can do it all. We think we have the resources. We think we can figure it all out, and we think we can do it without Jesus. You just kind of stay over there, or we deny God, and then what we end up with is we end up with ourselves. That's the worst place you could possibly be. I always tell people, Jesus came to save us from sin. I'm like, absolutely. But the greatest thing he came to save you with is the sin in you, or he came to save you from yourself. Mankind is self-destructive by nature. We were not created to worship ourselves. And when we, leave, when we leave the Lord and we create ourselves, we create idols and we create images in our own, vain images, and we worship gods that we make, including our intellect. That's a god. It's called intellectual idolatry because we think we're smart. We think we got it all figured out. The ultimate worship other than God, we don't create idols, so we may not be bowing down to Vishnu or we may not be bowing down to Buddha or any of the gods of the world, but the gods of our culture, we, we, the biggest god in America is the god of self. We are self-idolizers. We idolize all the things about ourselves. And what ends up happening is we find ourselves insufficient for the task at hand. Man can't, biggest revelation you can come to is that you can't do life alone. And when you get that, you're on the right road. When you keep thinking that you can do it all and you're able to do it, it's gonna, the pattern is going to create. As soon as you accept the fact that you're insufficient, it doesn't mean that you're weak. It just means that you were not created to be sufficient. You were created to be in him. When God leaves, not only does hope, but leave but everything shifts. Wealth becomes idolized. Can I get a witness? Truth becomes trivialized. Sin becomes legalized. What? Conscience becomes desensitized. Education becomes secularized. Christians become demonized. And God becomes marginalized. That's what happens when we, when we move God out of our consciousness and we move God out of our culture. This is what happens when man rules. Mankind left to ourselves, we're hopeless and helpless. That's not, that's not a, like a negative. That's actually the greatest positive you can realize. Man, the greatest awakening I ever had was that I wasn't made to do it on my own. Greatest revelation I had is that I was not sufficient in myself. So I stopped trying. I stopped trying to be my own God. I stopped trying and I looked to the Lord for everything. You guys hear me say it. I have no good ideas. Jesus, you're the only good idea I have. What are you saying? What are you doing? You're not sufficient. You can't figure out your home. You can't figure out your marriage. You can't figure out your job. You can't even figure yourself out without the Lord. You're hopeless and helpless. 1 Timothy 1 says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the command of God and our Savior, and Jesus Christ, our hope. There's no hope without Jesus. None. Everything else is just best guesses. Wishful thinking. Jesus is the hope of the world. He's the hope of glory. Next slide. Colossians 1.27. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of his glory of the mysteries concerning the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. God's desire is to make known his richness. God's desire is to make known his fullness to all the world. And what is that fullness? It is Christ in us, the hope of glory. That, what does that mean? The hope of all that is good is Christ in you. There is no hope for anything good apart from Christ. Not just Jesus on the outside, but Jesus on the inside. That is the hope of all that is good. 
People go, you need to look into yourselves for hope. I would agree with that if you're a believer. If you're a Christian, I'd say, yeah, look inside yourself because that's where Jesus and the Holy Spirit is, are. If you're not a Christian, there's no hope inside you, man. There just isn't. It's not, you're just not. It's just not there. So what happens, the older people get in life, it tends to happen mostly with the older people because when we're young, we're idealists, right? We have a lot of idealism. And we have a lot of, you know, we're 20 feet tall and bulletproof. Nothing can stop me now. I'm going to take the world by storm. And so, but as time goes on, time erodes your self-sufficiency. Can I get a witness? Everybody over the age of 30 said, amen. <laughs> time erodes your self-sufficiency. And you realize you don't have what it takes. And what we do is we come under some kind of guilt, we come under some kind of shame, we come under condemnation, and we think, oh, I must be a loser because I can't do it. Well, you can't, nobody can. Everything else is an illusion. It's a facade. Nobody can. That's why rich and famous people kill themselves. You ever wondered about that? I'm like, what in the world? From a human standpoint, you have everything you could possibly want, and you're killing yourself? I'm like, what? Or self-destructive? The behavior patterns are so self-destructive. It, it, and the reason is because you, you, we're not, we are created to stand in glory. We are not carry, created to carry the glory. Man is not the carrier of glory. Jesus is the carrier of glory. We stand in the light of his glory. And so what happens is, is when man carries his own glory is he collapses under the weight of it 100% of the time. Not 50% of the time, not 30% of the time, 100% of the time. It's just an issue of, 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 not if, it's an issue of when. You're not created to carry glory. And so if you're worshiping yourself and you're idolizing yourself and you think it's all about you, you're going to realize things aren't going to work. That's actually the greatest deficiency in our world. That's why marriages fail. That's why businesses fail. That's why life itself fails is because we think at the end of the day it's about us. It's about what we want, what we feel, what we think. What you're doing is you're going against your created design, right? And we see it in our world. If you, if, you, if you were to take your car, we use a simple analogy of putting something in your car that it's not supposed to have or trying to use your, If I tried to use my car as a tractor, right, I, it wouldn't work very well, would it? Or better yet, I thought, oh, my, my car's an airplane, so I'm going to drive it off the cliff and see if I can fly. It's not going to work. I'm using it in, in a manner that's different, that's not, it's not created for, it's not intended for. And so when we worship and idolize ourselves and we find ourselves being in, trying to think that we're sufficient in ourselves, we are actually operating according to, uh, in a way that we are not designed to operate from. And that's where all the problems come from. Your life is created to be under the service of the God who made you. People go, I can't, I don't like that. Well, the Bible says, can the, potter, can, the, can the pot say to the potter, why have you made me this way? You're created to worship and under adoration for him. You're not created to pursue selfish pursuits. You're created to pursue his heart, his passion, and in pursuing his heart and his passion, you begin to realize who you really are. That's the only way you ever realize who you are is when you pursue him. As long as you're pursuing you, you're, you're going to be confused forever. Forever, because you're, and again, you can try, and this is where the world rages against the Lord. We rage against God. We try and try and try, and we just can't seem to make it work because you're doing it the wrong way. It will never work because you're not made that way. You can't make yourself be something that you're not. You're created for worship, but that worship is him. That worship is not you. That worship is not people. That worship is not places. That worship is not things. It is to him and unto him alone. And when we worship, seek first the kingdom of God and what is right to him, Jesus said, right? And then what? Everything else is going to line up. But as long as you're not doing that, nothing is going to line up. All these things will be added to you. What's all these things? Everything. Because that's why we're made. So I'm made people, I hear people say, well, I'm made for business. Well, you may be. That may be the skill set that's been given to you. But your first line is towards worship towards him. So if you're to worship him and you're to take the wisdom that he gives you and operate your business according to the wise principles and the open doors that he gives you, and then you're to bring his business, that business doesn't belong to you, it belongs to him. And you are nothing but a steward of it. You are a servant of it. Does this make sense? we got to realize what's wrong and why it's wrong. 
and keep pretending that we can do it some other way because we can't. That's why the Bible says under Christ our hope. There's no hope without Jesus, but there's a lot of hope in him. The only hope of all that is good is Christ in you. That is the answer to everything. And the problem that we have to confront and the problems that we have to overcome are our belief system when it comes to the Lord. Our belief system as it applies to him is wrong. We don't believe who he is. Oh, I believe Jesus is Savior. Yeah, but you believe fully who he says he is? That's the question. And people say, yeah. Well, then does your life line up with that? The evidence that you believe it is that your life lines up. I didn't say perfect, but I said consistent. That's what I will say. The evidence that you believe that Christ is who he says he is is, is is demonstrated by your actions. If your actions say something else, then you're completely not, then your faith is re- really not real in what you're saying. Just a thought. Our thinking towards the Lord is wrong. We have to get it right. He's good. He's for you or he's not. He has a plan for your life or he doesn't. He has a destiny for you or he doesn't. Which way are you going to go? What report are you going to believe? He's going to give you the land or he's not. He's going to take you to another level or he's not. He's going to utterly transform your life or he's not. He's going to take what you give him and maximize it and take you to another place or he's not. Which one? You've got to make up your mind. You can't stand. But the Bible never gives us the option of standing between two opinions. It never does. There is never an option to stand between two opinions. Whose report will you believe? Am I going to do it or am I not? Is Jesus Christ, Jesus said he never gave you the option to determine. He said, I'm either God or I'm not. That's the only option he gave. Jesus gave the human, human race no other option. He never gave us the option to be a good man. He never gave us the option of him being one of many gods. He never gave us the option of him just being some prophet or some spiritually enlightened teacher. That option was never on the table. He never allowed you to have that option. The choice that mankind must confront when it comes to Christ is he's either God or he's not, period. And if he's not, then off you go. But if he is, then you are required to submit your life unto him. That's the requirement of understanding that, he's, that he is who he says he is. And that's what we got to understand. You know, we think that we can make it up as we go along or we can stand between three or four opinions. That's not what he gives us. He never gives you that option. It even comes down to God's promises. You either believe him or you don't. Lots of people, lots of churches, lots of places that don't believe God at his promises. They don't believe he is who he says he is. Okay, they believe he's Savior, but they don't believe he's Lord or Master. They don't believe he's worthy of their first and their best. They don't believe that he is the healer. They don't believe he is the redeemer. They don't believe he has resurrection power. They don't believe he's a transformer. Lots of people don't believe that. Either he is or he isn't. And if he is, then you need to press into that. And you need to press into that truth until it becomes your reality. Do, can, God, can, God change, can God change your life? Do you believe it? Can he take you even where you are, where he has brought you from is the first point. He's brought you from here to here, which means he's going to be faithful to bring you to the next place. But the first thing that's got to happen is you've got to believe it. If you don't believe he's going to take you to the next place, nothing's going to happen. The spiritual world works with agreement. What you agree with is what, what you partner with, what you submit yourself to is what you become a slave unto, Romans says. If you submit yourself unto unbelief, then you are now the servant of unbelief. You submit yourself unto faith, and now you are the servant of faith. That's how we're designed. Again, that's, it's, again, it's a design issue. It's how we're created. You can't, you can't get away from it. you got to realize how you're wired. And when, when I realized how I'm made, I said, well, what in the world am I doing? I need to start operating this way. It didn't matter to me whether I liked the way I was made or not. That's, that's irrelevant. The question isn't whether you like the way you're made. The question is, is this is how you're made. Am I going to partner with this thing, or am I going to go the other way? That's what Paul said to Jesus. Jesus said to Paul, right? It's hard to kick against the thorns. It's hard kicking against the thorns. It's hard working in a system or operating against something that God has designed. It's very difficult. In other words, you're not going to win. So hope for a lot of you comes when the first thing is when you start lining up with who you really are or start pressing into who you are or even start asking the questions, Lord, how did you make this thing? And most of us have wrong thinking when it comes to God. That is a monster problem. The first thing that has to happen is the dismantling of the intellectual idolatry within the church. It's God is who he declares himself to be, not God as you understand him to be. That's what's important. We worship a God whom we, we, who we make him up right? It's God who I understand him to be, so that's the God we worship. It has nothing to do with the God who you understand him to be. 
It has everything to do with the God who he declares himself to be. He declares himself to be someone. The Bible doesn't explain God, in case you're wondering. This is a big one for some of you. He doesn't explain himself. He declares himself. He doesn't give you this big explanation on who he is and all that other stuff. That comes through intimacy. You want to know his heart? That'll come through a relationship. But, if you, but the understanding with God is God says, I am a redeemer. Press into that. I am a savior. Press into that. I am a healer. Press into that. I am a restorer. Press into that. All of the things that he says he is, we have to make, who, who is he? Well, I don't understand him to be that way. Well, it doesn't matter what you understand. That, again, is idolatry. I mean, we're just really going to get down on the rubber on that one. That's idolatry. There's a lot of idolatry within the church. And the idolatry isn't the worship so much of possessions as much as it is the worship of the mind. That is the sin of the church. It's literally the sin of unbelief, which is rooted in intellectual idolatry. You think you know more, therefore you don't believe. You think you think you got a better idea, therefore you don't believe. Just a thought. That's for somebody. <laughs> Are you with me? Yes, all right. Hope. There's different types of hope. Worldly hope is called wishful hope. We're wishing. We're just wishing. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. Maybe, would you, could you, should you? Maybe things are going to work out. Maybe they're not going to work out. The Bible gives us something called certain hope. Say it with me, certain hope. And a certain hope leads to something called expectant hope. Say expectant hope. So we have a certain hope. God said it. He's going to do it. Now our next step is to expect him for it. Bust stop waiting, right? People say, I'm waiting until Jesus comes back. Or I'm waiting on the Lord. I always ask him, are you park bench waiting or are you bus stop waiting? Big difference, right? You're park bench waiting. What are you doing? You're looking at pigeons. You know, oh, check it out. Wow, wonderful. You're just observing. If you're, par- if you're bus stop waiting, what are you, what are you doing? I mean, you're, you're, you're looking down the road. You're checking your watch. You know, you're going over looking at the bus schedule. You are expecting that bus to show up like it was promised to show up. Are you, are you with me? That's a complete different attitude. And what we have to have is we have to have a faith in his certain hope, and we need to move that certain hope into his expectant hope that God is going to do and be who he said he's going to be. Because without faith, you cannot please him. But faith must have its foundation in hope. The foundation of faith is hope. It is literally the seedbed from which faith grows is hope. Without hope, there can be no faith. So when you find yourself faithless, you must ask yourself, where do I have no hope? When your faith is gone, the first question is not, why don't I have faith? The question is, where is their hopelessness? Where is the lie of unbelief? What lie am I believing that hopelessness is being produced in me? What am I believing? Any area that is not under the influence of glistening hope is under the influence of a lie. You've heard me say that before. Any area of your life where there is not glistening hope, a hope of a better tomorrow, a hope of transformation, a hope for the future, any area is under the influence of a lie. And that lie is preventing faith from growing. And without faith, we cannot access the power of God. You see how this works. And so we have to ask ourselves, what is the lie that I'm believing? Well, there's no glistening hope. People say my health is degrading. Okay, that's a lie. Listen, we're going to see Jesus, but God's a healer. The Bible says be faithful unto death. Until your last breath, you're believing God for his promises. That's how it works. You get me? He never tells, come on, come on. I got one. That's all I need. (laughs) But any area, you have to look at your life. You don't believe. Why? Because you're under the influence of a lie. That's the question. And we think it's all on him. No, it's all on us. Our activation, the activation of the kingdom is directly related to the partnership of the creation. Just a thought. That's how God made man. God made man to stand between two worlds, to activate that world into this one. That is the design from the beginning. From the very beginning, man was to be the arbiter of two worlds. On earth as it is in heaven. That was, why did Jesus say that? Because he came to restore the rightful position that man was given from the beginning. To bring heaven to earth. That's why he was created. 
And man lost it through sin, became separated from that identity. Jesus comes back, boom, last Adam, our identifier, our creator, in him we live. All of these things, the firstborn of many brethren, he comes in that way and he says, on earth as it is in heaven. What is he declaring? I've come to restore it. And so when we do not activate on earth as it is in heaven, it's because there's an absence of faith. There's an absence of action. If there's no faith and there's no action, that, I'm going to tell you right now, there's no hope. There's no hope. So the question is, is where is the hopelessness? Where? I deal with this stuff too. I'm talking to you guys from reality. I'm telling you how it works. I'm not an observer of the kingdom. I want you to understand something. I am a practitioner. You understand? I have no interest in being an observer of the things of God. I want to be a practitioner of it. I'm not ready to go, well, if God doesn't do it, well, then it's going to make God look bad. I'm not that guy. I'm like, you said it, you're going to do it. And if it didn't work, then I need to know why. Why? Because you said it. He's not a man that he should lie. He is not. So that's the question. And a lot of us, well, we don't want to try because if it doesn't work, well, then, you know, God will look bad. No, the reality is you'll look bad. We cast way too much off on the Lord when, in fact, it's human pride that's the problem. Ouch. Just a thought. (laughs) We have been given an anchor for our souls, okay? Now there are two things that are unchangeable, Hebrews 6, that cannot lie. Ready? There it is right there. He cannot lie. That's unchangeable. So that's the point. He cannot lie when he makes a promise. So when he makes a promise, he intends to keep it. He cannot lie. He's not lying. And he cannot, when he makes an oath, when God makes a decree or he makes a promise in his word or over your life or he puts a decree upon you or he binds himself to you, as I live, says the Lord, this shall happen, he cannot lie. They give us the strength to hold on to the hope. These things encourage us. When we get, see, here's the mentality problem. The mentality problem is we think God's a liar. No, I don't. Yes, you do. If you didn't believe he was a lie, if he wasn't a liar, you'd be practicing his promises. If you believed, Jesus said, if you knew the gift of God that was sitting in front of you, you would ask. That's what he said to that woman when he went through a Samaritan, Samaritan woman. It's the greatest statement in that whole passage. We think, oh, well, all these other things, yeah. But you know what the power, or the power, the power statement lies? If you knew who I was, you would ask. Your problem is you don't know who I am. You don't know. You don't know that I'm generous. You don't know that I'm good. You don't know that I'm all-powerful. You don't know why I created you. And you don't know half the things that are in your inheritance and half the things that are towards you. If you did, you would ask. If you did, you would stop trying to do it alone. Just a thought. (laughs) Come on. We have to be brutal with these things. What lie is influencing you, Christian? What lie? Who has bewitched you, foolish Galatians, that you depart from the promise that God has set before you? Who's twisted this? Who's influenced you? Who told you that? I can assure you Jesus isn't telling you that. Somebody is, and you're believing it. It's a whole other story. They give us strength to hold on to and hope. When we believe and know that God is good and he cannot lie and he will do it, he will do it, then you have hope. God will redeem your family. God will restore your home. God will give you a better future. God will change the absolute pile of mess that you have created and he will turn it around. That's right. It's true. He will change the circumstances that have befallen you. We create our own mess. We're our number one enemy, right? The second enemy is the circumstances that just come upon you for no good reason. And so you know, you may have done nothing wrong. Well, you must have done something wrong. That's Job. You need to go back and read the book of Job. That's what all of Job's friends were saying. Well, this wouldn't be coming on you if you hadn't done something wrong. And the Lord goes, put your hands over your mouth, y'all, because you don't know what you're talking about. Job's done nothing wrong. Yeah, Wow. No, you can't. Sorry. Thank you, Ashley. Save it for later. You can tell me at the table over there when we're having tacos. Hold on to that thought. (laughs) 
we have to believe that God is with us. We have to believe that he is for us. And we have to realize that God will take even the circumstances that have befallen you and he will turn them around. You have to believe that. And not just believe it objectively, but believe it in faith and step into it and begin to ask him how and begin to ask him when and begin to ask him where and then begin to ask him, is there any role that I play in this? There again, we cast all the responsibility back on the Lord. You have responsibility, people which means you have an ability to respond. That's what responsibility means. You possess an ability to respond. You have an ability to do something. Mm -hmm. And so that's the question. What is it that you want to do? What is it that you want to do to change my circumstances, God? I know you will. I believe you will. But what are you telling me? And he may say, get away from those people, get away from those places, and get away from those things. He may tell you to pivot your life and just start doing things differently. Well, if God was going to change my life, he'd just change it. Not without you, he won't. If God was going to save me, he would. Not without you, he won't. You get how this works? So we have an anchor. This hope is an anchor for your soul. So the hope in what? The hope that God can't lie, the hope that God will fulfill his promises, is an anchor for our soul. And it is sure and it is strong. Hope comes from God's promises. Say it with me. Hope comes from God's promises. Secondly is character. That's right. What he said is brings us hope. What he has promised brings us hope. And the second thing is his character, that he's good. Next slide. It's an anchor for the soul. What does an anchor do? Okay? And it's an anchor for the soul, not for the body. It's an anchor for the soul, not for the spirit. Well, what are you talking about, Kevin? Because our problem is in the area of the soul. You're a three-part being. You are a spirit, soul, and body. You're three in one. And our biggest problem is in the realm of the soul. The mind, the will, and the emotions. That is what the soul consists of. And what happens is is it anchors your soul. Most of us, all of us, in fact, are misled and become hopeless, not in the areas of our spirits. We become hopeless in the areas of our soul, in our mind, in our will, and in our beliefs or our emotions. That's where you get it all right? It's from that realm. And so the anchor of hope is for the soul. And how does it work? You set your mind on the promises of God, right? If anything is good, if anything is perfect, if anything is lovely, beautiful, of good report, if anything is excellent, think on that. You set your mind on what God said. This is how your soul becomes anchored in hope. You say, you determine yourself, it doesn't matter what they say, the Lord says this. It doesn't matter what that says, the Lord says this. And you set your mind on that. And then you put your will to follow, Setting your mind, setting your will. You understand that? Our problem, we're emotionally led. We're supposed to be spiritually led. And when it comes to the arena of the soul, we're still, the emotion is the third thing in the chain. First is the mind, second is the will, and thirdly is the emotion. When you let your emotions lead you, your mind and your will are all over the place. When you let your emotions lead you, your spirit is nowhere to be found. We have to set our mind on things above. We have to set our mind on the promises of God. And we have to set our will on following and doing what he says. And then your emotions are going to calm down. Or I wouldn't say they're going to calm down, but they will stabilize. They will stabilize. You know, that's what the anchor does, is it stabilizes the emotion. doesn't mean the boat doesn't rock. It just means it stabilizes. Without the anchor, you drift. Can I get a witness? right. We end up drifting. Faith is the activator of promises. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For those who come to God, what? Must believe that he is. That means you have to trust his character. You got to believe who he says he is. You got to believe that he's good. You got to believe that he's for you and he's not against you. You got to believe that you're going to live and not die, succeed and not fail above only and not beneath. You got to believe that. And if you don't, you should go fishing. Right? But if you do believe that and that is the truth to you, you need to go all in. Say it with me. All in. That's right. All in. You know what that means? You ever watch poker? Right? You guys ever watch the world championship of poker? When they're going to go all in, they push all their chips into the center. They don't hold any chips back. All my chips are going in. If God is who he says he is, your chips need to go into the middle of the table. You're going all in. If God's promises are what they say they are and who, what he promises them to be, you need to go all in. Christianity is not a spectator sport. You have to believe that he is who he says he is. That's the first step. First step of faith is his character. Is he who he says he is? You have to make up your mind. 
Who do men say that I am? This is not even a question for unbelievers. This is a question for believers. We believe he's the Savior, but we don't believe he's much more than that. Who do you say that I am? Well, Jesus Christ is a Savior. He's a Savior. Yeah, I got it. I was, re- I was meditating on this this week. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. First Peter, that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. Right? Jesus Christ came to save sinners. What, what does the word sinner mean? It means the Greek word sozo. It means save, heal, and deliver. He came to save you from sin, to heal you, and to deliver you from your circumstances, your false identities, your false hopes, your false futures. Well, that puts it all in perspective, doesn't it? We have to believe who he says he is. Do you believe it or do you not? That's the first step. And he says, if you don't believe who I am, he does not acquaint that as faith. He doesn't. So again, it's not just a question for unbelievers. It's a question for believers. And that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Do you believe that he is who he says he is? And do you believe he's going to actually do what he said he's going to do? Really, this is where we got to make up our minds, man. This is, this is really where it's at. Is he who he says he is? And is he actually going to do what he says he's going to do? If he is, then everything else needs to change. If Jesus is who he says he is and he's going to do everything he said he's going to do, then why are we distracted with so many other things? Why are we focused on so many other things? Why are we looking to so many other things? Some of you here, you're business people, you're entrepreneurs. Some of you here, you're career baiting. Some of you here, you're students. Some of you here, you're family. Have you ever taken that and submitted that unto the Lord and said, Lord, what do you want to do with it? Have you ever taken your business and asked Jesus and taken a margin out of your life to get a vision from him and him saying, this is what I want to do with it? And then him telling you that this is what I want to do? And then do you believe that he's actually going to do what he said he's going to do? And then you get the wisdom and say, how do you want me to go about that? What is the steps that you want to take? Again, we idolize things and we take things unto ourselves. Lord, this is my marriage. Good, bad, and ugly. What do you want to do with it? What do you want to do with it? Well, I can tell you he wants to do a whole lot more with it than you do. I can assure you of that. He created it, so he wants to make it better than it ever would be. But you must submit it unto him and let him give you a vision. And then when he gives you the vision, the vision is you don't, have, you don't know what you're doing. These are points of liberty that we have to accept. This is, these are the barriers that keep Christians back. I ask myself these questions all the time. What are the barriers that keep the believer back? Well, God gives them a vision. Okay, we get the vision. Then what's the barrier because that? Because I've seen lots of people get prophetic word, get visions of God, downloads from heaven, upgrades, the whole thing, and they don't do anything with it. And I ask myself, why? And I felt like the Lord told me because they think they're smart enough to figure it out on their own. Or they get the vision from the Lord and they don't know what they're doing. So when God gives you a vision, it's, say it with me, it's designed for partnership. Try it. We never partner it back. Lord, how does this work? How do I make my marriage what you say it's going to be? How do I walk that out? How do I take this business? How do I take my education? Whatever it is that he's given you, how do we get there? What, what does he get? What, how do you get there? And the, the, another big problem is the Burger King mentality. I'm not picking on Burger King, but their motto is we have it your way and have it now. That's a big problem in American Christians. We want it our way and we want it now. God's going to give you a vision, but it is not going to happen in 24 hours. The Bible says, though the vision tarry, wait for it, for it will come to pass. Write it down, and when you read it, run. Run towards the vision. And when you show it to other people, tell them, run with me. Get other people on board with the vision that God has called you to. Read it and run with it. That's what he tells you to do. And that's the point. He says, if, it's, if it's, it seems like it's taking a long time, don't worry. It's coming. It's coming. So, well, it didn't happen. I prayed yesterday. And, you know, my favorite story is I had a girl tell me one time, I tithed last week and I didn't get a blessing this week. I, I, you know, I tell them, I said, tithe for a year. Give the full tithe for 52 weeks. And then you come back and tell me that. Because you won't. You won't. Just the thought. Well, I gave money. I gave, I gave, you know, my offering in the thing last week, and I worked off this week, and nothing happened. Somebody laid hands on me one time, and nothing changed. Duh. Really? Are you that dull? Are you really that dull? Are you really that immature? You need to step up your game a little bit. You need to become the product of the kingdom and stop becoming the product of a culture. You need to shift your reality, shift your mindset, shift your attitude. Get out of worldly thinking, because it's poison. 
stinking thinking. The world thinks in terms of limitations. The kingdom thinks in terms of possibilities. What couldn't happen, what will happen? Where are you? Just a thought. Food for thought. Hope is the foundation. It's the foundation of faith. Faith is the activator. Faith is belief to the point of action. James says if you believe and you don't do anything, your faith is worthless. You don't really believe. You say, well, it's not about works. That's what people argue. Of course it's not about works, but you don't understand faith. Faith is an injection of power. That's what true faith is. When you get faith, you are injected with power, and you have to do something. You believe. You're like, I don't know, man. I just, I just think something's going to happen here. And then you start stepping into it. That's what true faith is. Faith is not, say it with me, faith is not, in not an intellectual assent. Faith is not something you convince yourself of or you set your mind on. Faith comes from the Lord. Faith is a gift from God. Faith itself comes from God. And when you look to yourself for faith, as my mentor told me, you've already lost. You've already failed because your faith is not sufficient, but his is. And so I look to the Lord for faith and I feel the possibilities and I feel the realm of faith. Anybody know what I'm talking about? When you feel faith and you enter into faith, and faith not always has a feeling, but it definitely has a presence to it. And you're like, okay, okay. And sometimes faith is a determination. Sometimes faith is a willful action. But most of the time, faith is the injection of power. And it comes through worship and adoration. And if you have that kind of faith and you don't do anything with it, your faith is dead. Faith requires action. What's the action? Well, that's the question. Don't ask me. Don't ask your neighbor. Ask Jesus, right? Look at the word. Ask him a question. This is what I keep driving at this church with us. I try to get you guys to understand this is a relationship. We play a lot of lip service in the Christian community. Oh, I'm in a personal relationship with Jesus. And you know what I ask him? What's that look like? What does that mean? You're in a personal relationship with Jesus. What's that mean? I mean, I don't know. If I I said I was in a personal relationship with, with my wife and I never asked her any questions, we'd have a problem. If I said I was in a personal relationship with her and I don't create a margin for her to talk to me or us to communicate, there'd be a problem. If I, didn't cre- if I said I'm in a relationship with my wife and I didn't create time for us to get on the same page, even if we don't agree, there would be a problem. All the women said, that's right. It's true. Yet we have a personal relationship and we do none of those things with the Lord. We never ask him a question. We don't get on the same page with him. We don't spend any time listening to what he has to say. And we wonder, but that's not a personal relationship. These are questions. God's going to tell you, when you get the fact that God's going to tell you a lot of things that you don't understand, I love it. You see it all through the New Testament. Crickets. Jesus makes a statement, and everybody just looks at him. I I mean, I wonder sometimes if I would have the courage to ask him. Unless you eat of my body and drink of my blood, you will have no part in me. And who would understand that in that time? Nobody would have understood that at that time. You would have had to ask him a question. They didn't understand it until after the fact because they didn't ask him a question. But he said the question directly to provoke a response, and nobody responded. And a lot of the things that Jesus said in the Scripture were intentionally for that purpose, to get them to ask a question. A lot of the things he says into your life, and you kind of rock back and forth thinking you understand it all. Oh, yes, bless God. Yes, Lord. Absolutely. I'm called to the nations. Absolutely. Yes, 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 yes. You never take the time to go, what does that mean? What exactly are you talking about here? And how do I get there? That's how this stuff works, man. Next slide. Exhort one another daily while it is still called today, lest any of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Hope comes through encouragement. How many knows we need each other? This is where the church comes into play. People, I don't need the church. I'm like, you've, you've completely missed it. How can you hate something Jesus is so in love with? You need to check your heart. You have a problem. Huh? The doctor is in, and I'm diagnosing you with a problem. If you have an attitude against the church, you have an attitude problem because you hate something that Jesus Christ loves, and you need to ask yourself, what is my malfunction that I don't like being with my brothers and sisters? Well, maybe you're dysfunctional. Great. Welcome to the family. We all are. Let's work on our junk and move forward. Exhort one another. We need each other. We must encourage each other. It's one of the aspects of Sunday. You're not going to get a whole lot of encouragement during the week, but you should be getting encouragement today. 
You should, if you need encouragement, you need to walk up to somebody and go, man, would you just bless me? Would you just speak a word over me? Would you just encourage me? And if they go, no, then go to the next person. Would you just bless me? Would you just encourage me? Would you just speak a word over me? And then others of you, you need to be on assignment looking for somebody who can, you can encourage. You're an encourager. You're an exhorter. It's part of your gift, and you need to be on mission. You come in on Sunday morning. Who do you want to encourage? The Lord. You should not leave this place without encouraging someone. This is how this stuff works. You should encourage and exhort while it is still called today. Do not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. I've heard this taught a hundred times, but I've never heard anybody ask, what sin? What sin? What sin is he talking about? He's talking about the sin of unbelief that is rooted in hopelessness. Get encouraged. God is with you. Don't let the sin that God is not for you harden your heart and dissociate you from him. You get it? That's why we're to encourage one another, because sin roots itself in unbelief. In unbelief is God doesn't care, nobody sees me, he doesn't love me, nothing's going to change, I've gone too far, I've, all, this, all this nonsense. That's why we encourage one another. It's so that that sin that denies who he is does not harden our heart and cause us to go away. The word for hard is the word, it actually means dry, become dry and brittle, breaking Hopelessness will break you. Can I get a witness? Hopelessness will break you. And God has set up a system called his church that encourages us one to the other. This is why churches need to be in reality, right? We need to be real. I've had people say, you're too, you're too honest, Kevin. I'm like, well, th this is it. Good, bad, and ugly. You know, <laughs> I have no mask to wear. I have none. Because I don't want you to wear a mask. Churches produce after their own kind. I want you to know that. What the church, who the church is led by will be what is produced within the body itself. Everything produces after its own kind, Genesis tells us. And so if the church is egotistical, the body will be egotistical. If the leader is narcissistic, the body will be narcissistic. If the, if the leader is self-driven, the body will be self-driven. So what's the challenge for me? Huh, a pretty big one. Because I'm accountable to produce who he wants you to be. And so I'm accountable, first of all, to become who I am called to be. Because only in me becoming who I'm called to be can I produce after the kind that Jesus wants, you see. That's why pastors have a big task on their hands. And they have a big, that's why prayer for your pastor is of the utmost. Is of the utmost. Humility. Identity purpose, all of these things, right alignment with God, all of those things are necessary because that's what produces the fruit in the body or the lack thereof. Lots of big churches, but who cares? I just saw an interview with a big church. They did, had been doing this specific type of thing for 15 years. They did a, they did a survey. This church is probably 15,000 people. They surveyed the people based on discipleship principles that Christians should know, and they found themselves that they, the, uh, they hired an outside company to do it. First of all, I commend them for their courage to actually taking a look at it, right? It's called Willow Creek. I actually commend them for the fact, and what they realized that after 15 years, everything they had done had not produced fruit. Everything they had done had not produced they, there was such a discipleship deficiency, and this is a church of tens of thousands, that less than 15% of their congregation could actually identify key biblical principles. Less than 15%, I think it was like 9%, anemic. And they had realized, and so I don't know what they've done now, but I know that that was a big moment for them, that everything that they were doing was not producing what the Lord had told them to produce. And pastors got to realize, I realize this every time, I will give an account. All should not seek to be teachers, for such will speak, face a stricter judgment. What does that mean? I get to stand before Jesus on behalf of you all. <laughs> Paul said, present the bride, present the body over which you see unto the Lord in this manner. But I get to stand before him, and I get to be accountable for what I taught. And I get to get, he's going to ask me, did, he's going to show me, did what you teach line up with my heart? Did what you teach line up with my purposes? Did what you teach line up with the things that I said that I wanted to happen? That's the accountability. And where the church goes wrong is we put itching teachers over, now I'm not picking on churches, but I'm just saying that pastors have to be accountable. And when pastors understand the accountability that the Lord will hold them to, they will be far more cautious in what comes out of their mouth.
and they will be far more, more, more serious about the things that they teach the people. See, they don't believe they're actually going to stand before Jesus. I know I am, okay? I know I am, and I know he is going to ask me. And so I always ask him, what do you want to say? I don't come up here without asking him what he wants to say. And also that's why I say Kevin goes off on these rants. Why do I go off on these rants? Do you know why? Because Jesus has something to say. And if Jesus has something to say, I try to do my best to let him say what it is that he is trying to say. You understand that? That's the purpose. Anyway, that's a side note. I got to get to work back over here. <laughs> I'm going to give you seven, say it with me, seven reasons for hope. Number one, say it with me, I am not alone. Number one reason for hopelessness is that people believe they are alone. Nobody sees, nobody cares, nobody knows. Number one, number one. There's a first reason for hope. You're not alone. Jesus said, I'm with you always. I'll never leave you or forsake you. You're not alone. If you're part of a church family, you have brothers and sisters all around you. All around you. Christians have no excuses for loneliness. None. Absolutely none. He will work it out for good. That's the second one. We know all things work together for good to those who called according to his purposes. He's going to work it out. Why are you hopeless? You say it's a mess. It doesn't matter. He's going to work it out. If you're in Christ and you are called unto him towards the things that are of his heart, God will work everything out in that direction. You believe it? Two of you? Two of you believe that? Okay. Say this with me. God is greater than my problem. Hello. I know this is hard. This is something I got to beat myself on the head with. Ting, ting, ting. God is greater than your problem. Here it is, Deuteronomy. For the Lord your God is the God of gods. He's the Lord of lords. He is the great, the mighty, the awesome God who does not show partiality and will not be dissuaded. You know what that dissuaded means? Bribed away from his, purpose, his, his, his purposes. You can't bribe him away from what it is that he wants to do. He's not partial. What he does for one, he'll do for another. You delivered Sally. Well, he'll deliver you. You blessed Peter. Well, he's going he's to bless you. He's not partial. And you can't bribe him away from the purposes. He's greater than anything. The God of the gods. The Lord of the lords. He is great, mighty, and awesome. Say it with me. He is great, mighty, and awesome. He loves me. He is for me. And he will not deny his purposes over my life. Next slide. God is greater than your mistakes. Hello. Oh, man, I made a mistake. If your heart condemns you, God is greater than your heart, and he knows all things. Guilt and shame leads to hopelessness. I've gone too far. I've done too many things. You don't know. Wrong answer. God's greater than your mistakes. And guess what? He already knows. I love that part. That part always, you know, like, Kevin, why are you hiding it from me, dude? I already know. I know what you did and why you did it. So why? Your heart's condemning you. I'm not condemning you. Give it to me. Surrender it to me. Return to me. It's everlasting hope in Christ, man. He will never turn you away, ever. I've done it 10 times, 70 times 7. It's kind of hard to blow it 490 times in a day, right? I mean, you got to really be working hard to mess it up. Jesus said, oh, forgive him three times. He said, no, seven, seven times. He said, no, 70 times seven. You got to work hard to get that one done. What is he saying? He's saying, it doesn't matter. I will forgive you. It doesn't matter. I will restore you. The church likes to get into this thing. Well, at some point, well, at what point? At what point? As long as you're returning yourself unto Christ, he will work with you. All who come unto me, I will not turn away. All. Anytime, anywhere, any place. It's either true or it's not. There's no, there is hope eternally in Jesus. There is nobody like him. You should be in love with the one who loves you. He will not turn away from you. He will not hide his face from you. If you will return to him, he will return to you. Lord says, oh, return to me. No, you return to me and I will return to you. Well, who's doing the leaving here? It sure isn't him. You leave, not him. That's why he says, you got to come back because you're the one that left. So when you come back, don't worry, I'm here. I'm not going to turn you away. That should make a lot of you guys hopeful. 
God's turned away from me. Says who? Who told you that? Not in the New Testament, Christian. He has bound himself to you. He will be angry with you no more. The Holy Spirit is in you. He that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. 1 John 4, 4. You are of God, sons and daughters. That's an exhortation right there. You are of the Lord. You have an overcoming power. Are you kidding me? I am of the Lord, and I have an overcoming power. Well, what is that? There's the question. Because he who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. The power that is in you is greater than any circumstance that you could face. You need to trust the Holy Spirit. You should forever be hopeful. The power of God resides with you. You may not be tapping it. You may not be accessing it. But the truth is, you have the power of God. And here's the last one. Say it with me. Whatever it is, it is not the end of the story. That's right. That should create a tremendous amount of hope for a lot of people. This is just a closing chapter. This is not the end of the book. That's all it is. <laughs> Some chapters in our lives are horror stories. Can we agree? Some chapters in our lives, they're, they're mysteries. <laughs> Some chapters of our lives are adventures, but each one is a chapter. It's not the whole story. Here's one, Lamentations right? Lamentations. You want to talk about people who needed hope? If you know where the book of Lamentations, the people of God had been disobedient. They had fallen under the influence of their enemies. Their enemies had now taken them captive, plundered them, and destroyed everything that they had possessed. You think those people needed some encouragement? That's why the book is called Lamentations. The prophet Jeremiah is lamenting. He's lamenting the loss, the loss the people had put themselves outside of the covenant and into things, and the enemy had wreaked havoc upon their lives. Come on. Lamentations 22. The steadfast of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. What is he saying? It's not the end of the story. It's not the end of the story. You don't know what I lost. Well, you don't know who he is. You don't know what I've given up. You don't know what he's got for you. Hello? You believe it? Come on. You should have hope. Let's receive it. Open up your hearts and say, Jesus, I receive hope today. I receive hope every morning. I declare that hope is my companion. Hope is forever in my heart. And because of hope in my heart, faith is in my heart. Say this with me. Holy Spirit, I give you permission. This is going to get clear here in for some of you, because he's going to do it. Say, Holy Spirit, I give you permission to identify the areas of my life that are influenced by lies and that are not influenced by hope. Show me in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me bless you. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May he be gracious to you and give you peace, and may you forever live within his favor. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, God loves you. We love you. Have a great week. We're going to have a taco bar and taco party and line dancing after the 1130. Come back. They You know, when a generation starts singing hallelujah together, that's really powerful, you know what I'm saying? You know, 